I'm Elizabeth Ames, and this is the Women in Product podcast, where we share the stories of women product leaders, the careers they've built, the challenges they've overcome, and why they love building tech products. My guest today is Karen Catlin. Karen has spent the majority of her career leading engineering teams. She was a vice president of engineering at Macromedia and Adobe. But after 25 years building software products, Karen witnessed a sharp decline in the number of women working in tech. Frustrated with what she was seeing, she decided to make a change. Today, Karen coaches women to be stronger leaders and men to be better allies. Her client list is literally a who's who of Silicon Valley and beyond. In late 2014, Karen started the Twitter handle, at Better Allies, to share simple, actionable steps that anyone could take to make their workplaces more inclusive. That Twitter handle became the inspiration for her books, Better Allies, Everyday Actions to Create Inclusive, Engaging Workplaces, and the Better Allies approach to hiring. She continues to tweet and blog for Better Allies, and she also emails a roundup of five ally actions to her subscribers every week. I invited Karen to join me because as women in product, we need all the allies we can get. But in turn, we also need to be allies to others. Learning how to be a great ally and how to spot and cultivate allies is an important skill for all of us. Karen, welcome to the Women in Product podcast. It's great to have you here. Um, I really wanted to spend some time talking to you and explore allyship from the point of view of women being good allies for other women who may not share their background, but also women being good allies for other groups who are underrepresented and being confident and comfortable um, playing that role periodically. So I just want to say that up front because I think that will sort of direct some of our conversation here rather than just allyship generally. Right. So, um, I guess I wanted to start with the question of like, what makes someone a good ally to start with? Yeah. Okay. So it's in some ways very simple. What makes a good ally? It means that you are using your position of power, your position of privilege to open up a career door for someone else, to make a little bit more of a level playing field for someone else. You are um, addressing an inequity that might be happening in the workplace because you have some power and some privilege. And the introduction you just gave in terms of what our focus area is, like, yes, women, even though women are underrepresented in many companies and many industries, that doesn't mean we can't be a, an ally. As a woman, even in an underrepresented industry, company, role, position, we can still use our privilege in so many ways. Um, Perhaps we have privilege because we are part of a racial majority. We're white, for example, in America. Perhaps we can use our privilege because we have a citizenship or a permanent visa that allows us to work 
and we don't have to worry about taking risks that people who don't have permanent visas or are relying on their employer for a visa status, risks that they do not want to take because they would have to potentially leave the country if they lost their job, right? We maybe can take um, uh, be an ally because we um, even have financial, you know, some money in the bank that allows us to join out of office, you know, fun activities that aren't company sanctioned um, because we can afford to go to that happy hour or that lunch with team members, right? All of these things mean as women, even though we might be underrepresented, we can be allies for other people and we can make sure that they are being thought of, that they are being um, addressed again, opening career doors if we can do that as well. You know, one of the things that I've sort of personally experienced is that being an ally is kind of a journey, right? Um, that for many of us, uh, we don't necessarily understand other people's experience. And so we feel ill-equipped to speak up. We don't know what the right things are to say. We don't necessarily see the issues at times. So tell me a little bit about your journey to being an ally and developing an expertise around it, because you, you have gone on that journey. I mean, I've sort of seen it over the years. Yeah. And I have been doing it for years, Elizabeth. Um, Okay. I am completely aligned with you in that allyship is a journey. It's a journey that starts with a single step and it's a journey that continues with ongoing steps and frankly, we're probably never done because it's not like you you get some ally badge or cookie and you don't have to do this stuff anymore. No, it's it's a mindset. It's a culture. It is a way of being. And so it's a journey that starts with a single step, but you got to keep moving. And my single step started, and I remember exactly what it was. It was the Grace Hopper Celebration for Women in Computing in 2014. And as you may remember, that conference, um, it well, it stood out to me because there was a male allies panel that kind of went sideways. Men who were invited to this panel, who frankly were really good people, are good people, yeah. it went sideways though because they were saying things that were platitudes. They really hadn't done their homework. They didn't know how to best be allies for women, but they were talking like they did. And it wasn't well received. Because yeah. of that, I then was like, wait a second, if the good guys, the guys whose heart really is in the right place, who are these great tech leaders, if they're getting it wrong, someone needs to be helping them see how to to show up and to take action and be better allies. So I I collaborated with another woman in tech. Um, Her name's Kate Houston. She and I came up with um, a whole collection of ideas of people, of things that people could do, men could do to be better allies initially. And I then turned that into a Twitter handle, Better Allies, where I started tweeting these ideas that Kate and I came up with, very actionable things, simple things in some ways, like simple things like, I'm going to notice when an interruption happens in a meeting and redirect it with a simple, hey, I'd, I'd like to hear Deepa finish what she was saying, if Deepa's interrupted, right? Simple things. Um, and of course, more complicated things too, or um, organizationally complex things, such as doing pay analysis to look for inequities and fix those inequities. Um, But I started tweeting these things. And then I started paying attention to the research that social scientists are doing around inequity, not just on gender, but on any kind of inequity in the workplace um, because of an underrepresented demographic experiencing the workplace differently. 
I started paying attention to the research. And every time someone would publish research, you know, maybe it was coming out of Stanford or somewhere else, I would look at that like, okay, what's an ally supposed to do because of this great research that was just done? And I would look for what are their everyday actions? Uh, and frankly, you know, I worked in tech for a long time. I know what you can do and what is possible. And I kept thinking of like my primarily my white male colleagues and like, what, what could I imagine them doing that would make a difference? And so those were my tweets initially. Anyway, long story short, people now send me ideas for, you know, for content. Here are things that people could do to be better allies. I've written books and I speak about this topic all the time. And I learn all the time too. Elizabeth, I should emphasize being on this journey to be a better ally means you're going to make mistakes too. And this gets back to like, yeah, sometimes we don't know what to do or we say the wrong thing. And I make mistakes all the time too. I do. I will put it out there. I make mistakes. And when I do, I try to learn from them and you know, of course apologize um, if I'm, you know, if I made some a mistake um, with a specific person or group of people. And then I share it in a newsletter. Like I literally like try to model this behavior. It's okay to make mistakes on this journey to be a better ally. I share them in my newsletter and basically say this, I did this and I should have done this. I've since learned this is the right thing to do or something else to try. Um, so I'll just stop there. That was kind of a long answer, but hopefully helpful. No, it's really, it was really good. I mean, I think that acknowledging that we will all make mistakes is so important because I think so many of us are afraid of making mistakes that it keeps us from ever doing anything. And, you know, we're going to make mistakes. Um, that doesn't mean that you are reckless about it, right? Like you should do some homework, you should be thoughtful about it. Um, but, you know, just recognize that you will make some mistakes and, and your obligation is to learn and to move forward, right? So, you know, I, one of the things that a question that I have for you is like, have you ever had the need or the reality of an ally standing up for you? And, or vice versa, you know, you can maybe give an example where you stood up for somebody else, but what did that look and feel like, right? No, like, what did it feel like to you before? What did it feel like to you after? Yeah. Oh, I, I have many examples, but my favorite one is, and it's my favorite, I think, because it's so darn simple. Um, I had just joined Adobe and I was an engineering leader at Adobe for a number of years, but I had just joined the company. And I was in an engineering leadership meeting, probably about 40 or 50 people in that meeting. I think they're all men and me. And I remember my manager at the time, who's a senior vice president, highly respected man. I heard him say, well, what I learned from Karen Catlin is the following. And he went on to summarize something I had shared with him probably in a one-on-one -on -one the previous week. And he repeated it and gave me credit and said, he learned something from me. And then he summarized what it was. So you can imagine, how did I feel in the moment? I felt amazing. Like, oh, this feels good. I like it was acknowledged. And, um, and as a result of that simple action, I think he helped me build credibility with all those new peers, those all the men that I was going to have to start working with very quickly on cross-team, you know, cross-functional you know, initiatives and so forth. I think he helped build credibility. So I was going to be more successful. And I, I think I was successful moving forward from that. Um, so that's an example of how simple it can be. 
Mm-hmm. to be a better ally. Here's what I learned from somebody. Amplify them. It's basically a way to endorse someone publicly. Yeah. Yeah. And there are many ways to endorse publicly. It doesn't have to be you learn something, but many ways to do that. That's just one. Um, in the work I do now, so I have my own business. You know, I'm a solopreneur, as they say, or a company of one. So I'm not in the workplace, you know, per se, with a lot of colleagues where I can be better allies. But what I try to do is... Um, amplify, especially women who are women of color, um, black women, brown women, Asian women, uh, women of color. I try to amplify them on social media by, you know, sharing what they've shared and retweeting and all of that. I recommend people for speaking assignments. When I get a request to speak somewhere, if either I'm not the right person or I'm busy or it's an all white panel and I'm like, you don't need another white woman talking about this, you know, whatever the, the topic is. I try to refer that business to women of color um, and you know pay it forward that way. Um, so those are a couple of things I do now. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have found with allyship is that it's um, it's a bit like a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Like the more you use it, the better it gets. And um, so there's a certain amount of you know, intentionalness about it that I have noticed, right? That if I pay attention and actively um, practice even the most simple actions, um, it gets easier, right? It's the first one that's the hardest. And um, once you do that first one, uh, you feel good. You feel like, oh, it was a little thing. It it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. I feel better about having stood up for somebody or helped somebody. Um, and then the next time it's a little easier to, to do that. Um, and it also sort of sharpens your awareness. So, you know, uh, how do you, how do you help or encourage people to build that muscle? Right. You know, um, it, it's, not just the breakthrough, because sometimes people have the breakthrough and then it's like, oh, I did that. Good for me. I get a badge and I don't have to do anything else, right? You know, how do you get them to take those next steps? Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's make this real. So what are, what are some times that you need to be paying attention and taking that step and exercising that muscle? Yeah. Okay. Let's think about microaggressions. Microaggressions being those small things that kind of maybe aren't a big deal if they only happen once, but they add up over time and they are a big deal. Um, They are also the backhanded compliments, um, uh, which we can get into as well. But uh, so offensive jokes, offensive comments, um, saying things like, you know, well, all lives matter when someone's trying to talk about Black Lives Matter, or even saying something like, oh, about a woman of color, she was so articulate in her presentation. Like that's a backhanded compliment. It's not really a compliment because uh, what are you comparing them to, right? So anyway, these are situations that happen. They probably happen frequently in every workplace, even the best workplace, there are gonna be some of these things happening. Um, or here, let's talk about some things that happen to women, especially, um, oh, there's no one, no one hears the, a project manager who can schedule the next meeting and the one woman in the meeting is like, can you schedule the follow-up meeting for us, please? Like the office housework, that meeting housework, the glue work that, that women tend to be asked to do. Or, um, oh yeah, you know, she's really good 
And I know she's managed a team of four people before, but before she manages a team of five on this really important initiative, I need to make sure she, whatever, like, it's just like, you have to prove yourself over and over again. Like, okay, these are all these kind of microaggressions and this non-inclusive behavior that an ally could spot and speak up. And one of my favorite techniques for speaking up is this approach called seek common ground and then educate. See, mm. common ground is you build a connection with someone. I used to think that too. I used to say that phrase too, whatever. But I have since learned, and that's the education, and you share what you've learned. Um, I used this recently. I got an email newsletter from a woman I know um, pretty well. And the subject line of her newsletter was, I'm going to open the kimono. And then she went on to talk about some insider information she wanted to share. Mm. I gave her some, I reached out, I replied to it and I said, are you open to some feedback? And then I did a whole bunch of blank lines so she could decide if she wanted to read my feedback or not. And then I used this seek common ground and educate approach, which I said to her, you know, that phrase, open the kimono. I said, I used to use that a lot. I think I had some boss who used it frequently and I liked it because it was like, hey, I'm going to tell you some things I've never, I don't really tell everyone. It's, it felt like I was, it was a very effective approach for building some trust with someone. But I have since learned, I've since learned that that is a racist comment. And it's also very sexist and full of misogyny because what are we women just supposed to be, you know, taking our clothes off and showing, you know, revealing our bodies for your, your, you know, whatever understanding of something like, no, we shouldn't be using that phrase anymore. So it, it was a, it was a, it's a great approach. It feels to me non-confrontational, even though you are given very direct feedback because you're saying, Hey, I used to, I used to do that too. Of course you have to be genuine and honest. And I was in this situation and then share what you've since learned. So um, that's a, that's the, that's the muscle that will serve you in so many situations. If you can start, just tuck that away somewhere, seek common ground and educate and pull it out. It'll, it'll just keep getting easier to do every time. And the reaction will reinforce that. The reaction most likely will be positive. And you, that will, at least for me, I love positive reinforcement. That fuels me to keep going forward. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great comment and a great tool. <clears throat> I think the other thing that I have found is often, um, you know, responding in a way that sort of brings curiosity to the table a little bit. So when somebody says, somebody's really articulate, I might go back and say, I really liked that person's insights on blah, 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 which is sort of driving people to the specifics. Like, what did you really like, right? Like, stop with the platitude and tell me what you really liked. Um, from that standpoint. Yeah. Too. And, and the impact that that presentation had, the way that she used data really illustrated the point that we needed to make you know, something impactful. Yes. I think is what we should be focusing on when we give feedback, not they looked awesome or right. they sounded like they, their English was so good today. Or whatever. It's just like the impact of their work. Let's focus on that. Yeah. I think I like also the example that you brought up because I think that there are a lot of these phrases, um, you know, and uh, I'm from an older generation 
and you maybe don't need to go back that far to find phrases that have a lot of misogyny and racism built into them. And I think for many years, it never, I can say, in all honesty, it didn't occur to me, right? But as soon as somebody points it out to you and you can see it, you kind of can't unsee it, right? Then you're kind of like, oh, yeah. yeah. Do you have one that you want to share that you're unlearning? Um, I've got a few I can share. I'm you- not sure that I, yeah. So I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, a little, I'll tell a little story on myself. I, I mean, I, I made a comment to my son. I think I was referring to our cat. This will sound probably even worse. And I said, he's just being a wild Indian, right? And my son looked at me and he was like, I don't think you should use that phrase. And I was like, oh, you're right. I shouldn't. That was terrible. Okay. I got to unlearn that now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One I'm trying to unlearn. I think I'm doing okay. I've been trying to unlearn it for a couple of years, so I should be doing okay. But if someone compliments, like, you know, my husband says something like, oh, that dinner was amazing, you know, something like that. And, and I'm thinking, I took the frozen tortellini out of the freezer. And, like, <laughs> and I might say something like, yeah, I slaved over it. And trying not to say that anymore. It's just, um, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Kind of, uh, all, we have all of these expressions that are just yeah. littered into our language that you start to see and go like, oh, yeah, no. No, no. Yeah. All right. Can I share one more? Because a lot of people don't know about this one. And I think it's super helpful. Because again, once you see it or know about it, you can't unsee it, can't unhear it. Um, and that is this phrase grandfathered in. They're grandfathered into our old, you know, program, our old rates, our sale, you know, the pricing or whatever, whatever it might be, they're grandfathered in. And that is so prevalent in finance as well as in product offerings. I see it a lot. And it's also rooted in a terrible part of our history. It comes from the Jim Crow South, right after the Civil War, when the formerly enslaved people were given the right to vote, at least the men were, uh, formerly enslaved men were given the right to vote with the caveat that they had to pass a literacy test and pay a small fine unless their grandfather had voted before the Civil War. So pretty much the white men didn't have to pay this fine and pass this literacy test on the constitution, they could just vote. But these newly enslaved, formerly enslaved men had to do this additional work. So they were not grandfathered in. And that's where that term comes from. Yeah, that's fascinating. I would not have known that. Um, It's interesting. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So, you know, one of the other things that I hear to kind of shift gears a little bit here um, you know, we often have these discussions about mentors and sponsors and coaches and, you know, so allies, how do allies sort of fit into that framework? How, is there a way that we should think about them in that context? All right. All right. So allies can play all of those roles or none of them. I'll just say, um, you know, okay. So Mentors share advice, very simply said. Mentors share advice. Sponsors use their social standing or their credibility to open career doors. And you may not even know that's happening on your behalf, but that they open career doors. And coaches kind of, well, they 
They help you achieve your professional goals by maybe getting you unblocked or unstuck, thinking about things differently. Um, And allies, as I said, allies can be all of those people or none of those people. I think they're most closely aligned with sponsors because the best allies are sponsoring people. They are talking about you in a positive way behind your back, you know, so to speak, um, in rooms that you're not in. They are endorsing you publicly, using their position of power and privilege to endorse you like my boss did in that story. They are recommending you for maybe speaking um, uh, gigs, um, you know, speaking opportunities, or they're recommending you to co-author a white a white paper, that's probably a term, a, a position paper that they, you know, maybe your company might want you to um, write. They're recommending you to go represent the company on that customer visit. Like those are ways of sponsoring people. And they're also everyday actions for allies to take. Yep. Okay. That helps a lot. So <clears throat> you published this great Twitter handle and a newsletter, which I want to recommend everybody who's listening to this go subscribe to if they don't already or follow your Twitter handle because I love both of them because they're like these bite-sized pieces. And they just remind me every week or every day of something that I could do or that um, I should think about relative to being an ally. So I think that they are kind of part of my ally exercise routine, if you will, kind of like keep it front of mind, keep thinking about different ways to do it. So what are your top recommendations um, for people who want to develop allies in their workplace, right? So I just started someplace, maybe I don't feel totally comfortable yet, I'm finding my way around, how do I start to cultivate or locate where there are allies who might be able to help me? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the first first thing is, let's realize that even the best allies may miss some non-inclusive behavior. There may be somebody in a meeting that you're attending and you're like, didn't anyone notice that I just got talked over? Like, wh- why isn't anyone speaking up? It's not because they people in that room are not good allies or virtual or in-person room. It's not that they're, they, they can't be better allies. It's just that they missed it. They weren't thinking about it. They were thinking about something else. So keep that in mind. And if there is something that's happening to you that is not inclusive, that you feel like I need someone to be my ally to speak up because I can't, can't get a word in edgewise, or I feel like I'm getting picked on in a way that other people aren't getting the same kind of nitty gritty kind of feedback or whatever it might be, reach out to someone that you work closely with who's in those meetings or in the workflow, seeing how documents are edited. Reach out to someone who has more sort of power and privilege maybe than you do yourself and say, hey, there's some some behavior, some stuff happening. I, I don't know if you're seeing it, but I'd like to tell you about it. And I want to ask you if there are some things you can do in support of me. That's what it's all about here. Um, You're not calling them out because they didn't do something. You're just saying, hey, I don't know if you're seeing this, but this is what I am uh, witnessing. Now, hopefully that person has uh, the mindset that they are uh, want to listen to this. They want to believe it, even though they might not have experienced it themselves. They might not be seeing it, but that they will believe you. And then they will take action as an ally to stop those interruptions, to make sure that you are getting the right kind of feedback, not, not sort of nitpicky stuff. 
um, and so forth. So you got to reach out to people if you need someone to, to support you. Um, you can also just, um, you can ask around, <laughs> ask around, um, especially for other people in your demographic. Hey, who are, who are the good people here? Who are the allies? Who, who are the people that I could um, get to know because they're going to be in my corner? Yeah, that's a really good suggestion. And, you know, you, you also touched on something here about, you know, the, the, the place where we are these days, which is that a lot of our interaction is virtual. So, or, uh, you know, coming up soon hybrid, which is even more complicated, right? Um, what are things that each of us can think about in order to be sensitive and be good allies going forward? So like virtual meetings or, um, or hybrid meetings or different types of situations like that, what are sort of good practices that you would want people to think about just from the get-go? Yeah. So the mindset here is to have, is to think about how can we have a meeting culture where everyone can be included? And if it is hybrid, where there are some people in the room where it's happening, you can sing a little Hamilton tune right now, but um, if they're in the room where it's happening, then, I mean, even before the pandemic, we've all been there where someone had to dial in, someone was in a different office, and you kind of forgot they were there. You might have even ended the meeting and walked out the door, and they're still on the, the conference call, right? Because no one hung up on them because yeah. they forgot. I mean, so remember that there are people in the room um, that aren't in the room, but, you know, virtually attending. Um, I've starting, I'm starting to collect these wonderful ideas and simple things, but things such as when you start a meeting and if you're asking, like, let's say it's some sort of me, like, let's go around the room and get an update from everybody. Start with the people who are remote, have them go first so that it uh, re- reinforces that they are part of this meeting. Um, look for many opportunities for collaboration. It doesn't have to be come off of mute or speak up. Um, it could be uh, that we have a shared document that we all can be adding our thoughts to, for example. Um, it is being very mindful of if you are in the room, also join the video link, the Zoom or whatever, so that you can be paying attention to that chat that is so valuable in remote meetings, right? Where people are sharing ideas and chiming in with things over chat. So you want people in the room to also be having that experience and looking for the great comments that might be coming in through chat. Um, so those are some some top of mind things. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that I also think about is um, always having a good agenda because it gives everybody the opportunity to be prepared. And in particular, people who are maybe introverted and not very comfortable speaking up, they have time to sort of formulate their thoughts in advance so that they feel prepared to speak. Yes. Um, and I, okay. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> That's all right. I apologize for interrupting you. It's all right. Um, thank you. I also, I love that idea. And if you think that you might want to tap someone during a meeting because they've got you know, some report that's relevant or something, if it's not actually called out in the agenda, at least let that person know that you're expecting to hear from them um, and encourage them to be prepared. Because again, some people can just talk off the cuff and be fine. Some people need some time to actually put some thoughts together. So before we go, 
where can people find you? So the best is way is Better Allies on Twitter and on Instagram. And then betterallies.com is my website for my books. And it has information about my newsletter and other resources that you might find helpful on your journey to be a better ally. Thank you, Karen. I'm really hoping that everyone in our community will take these great words of wisdom that you have and really apply it even just to the people in our community and giving them, you know, that, that grace and that kindness um, so that we can all move forward together. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for listening today. Thanks also to our partners, Facebook, Google, PayPal, and Upwork who provide annual support for the work of Women in Product and our community. This podcast is an original production of Women in Product. Our music today was provided by Croander, the instrumental music project of David Satay. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review so that others can discover us. Android users find us on Spotify. Or share this episode with others who you think would find it interesting. If you have any questions or suggestions for future guests or topics, you can reach us at podcast.womeninproduct at gmail.com.